excuse me, Second Peter, <clears throat> chapter one. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and, our, and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Tell this message tonight, having like precious faith. I fear that many times, many Christians don't know what they really have in Christ. And so let's, let's pray and then we'll look at this. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to open your precious word and to pray that you, as we look into this passage of scripture, I pray that the Spirit of God would teach us, instruct us, and convict us, challenge us. And may you be glorified, may we be encouraged, and strengthened, we pray. And may we grow in our grace and knowledge of thee and being more conformed to the image of your dear Son. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Of course, this is another epistle of Peter. Tells us that in the very beginning. But he's, he writes and he says, to those that have obtained like precious faith. The word obtained here means to receive by divine allotment. In other words, we have received this faith wherein we stand... This righteousness that we have has been given us by divine allotment. And it is like precious. It's equally honored and valued. You know, this, this like precious faith is what unifies us. Think about it. It's what unifies us. It's not the brand of clothes we buy. I mean... As far as I know, all you men wear blue jeans. I'm the oddball. Now, I don't think it's a sin to wear blue jeans. Almost, but not quite. No, I don't think it's a sin to wear blue jeans. I just don't like them. They're heavy. When I sweat, they stick to me. I don't like them. So I don't wear them. Much to my, the chagrin of my family, they would, you know, like me to wear blue jeans, but I don't like them, so I don't wear them. See, it's not the brand of clothes we buy or wear, as long as they're modest. It's not the kind of cars we drive. I mean, Andrew back there went and bought a Mustang. It's Ford. <laughs> Poor guy. Maybe you'll learn someday, but anyway. Um, it's not the kind of guns we buy. Some, of, some have Glocks, some have other kinds, you know. I'm, you know, anyway. It's not, it's not our background. It is our belief system that uh, determines our philosophy of life. 
It's our light, precious faith that makes us alike or like each other. That's what makes us like each other. It's not. It's not our brand of clothes. It's not those those things. You know, Ephesians 4, go to Ephesians 4 for just a minute. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6. It says, I therefore, the prison of the Lord, beseech you that ye would walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It's the unity of the Spirit. It's not the unity that we create. And of course, the Spirit of God creates that unity as we obey Him. It's automatic. There is, notice this, there is one body and one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. See, we all have the same God. We all have the same Spirit of God. We all have the same faith. We all have the same Lord. And we all adhere to the same baptism. That's what unifies us. That's what unifies us. You can have people from vastly different backgrounds or even cultures that can come together in a church. Even in here in the, the church at Ephesus, Paul said talked about the, them making one new man. In other words, they were bringing the Jew and Gentile together into one. Which before the Jews, Jews considered the Gentiles dogs. They're all one in Christ. They find unity because they have the same like precious faith. And this precious faith gives us some things. First of all, we have the same standing before God. In verse 1 he says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We, I think we understand that we all get saved the same way. We all get saved the same way. You know, ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3.26 tells us that. So we, we, we are all get saved the same way. We have the same Savior, we get saved the same way. And we are all equally, you ready for this? Righteous before God. You don't have to answer this, Andrew, but do you think you're as righteous as your dad is? Nathan, or Daniel, do you think you're as righteous as Nathan? You see, if you're saved, you're as righteous as your dad is before God. Because, let me ask you this, how do you become righteous? What makes you righteous? Your Jesus said, Except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall not enter therein. So whose righteousness must you have to be righteous? I mean, do you think you're better than Nicodemus? And Jesus said to him, You must be born again, or you need to be made righteous by God. You see, 
if we're saved, if you're saved tonight, you have the righteousness of God, and we, in, in our standing before God, we are all equally righteous. Look at, go to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. <clears throat> Romans chapter 3. You know, whether you're young or old, whether you've been saved a year or 30 years, if you're saved, you're equally, we are equally righteous before God. Because it's His righteousness, not ours. Romans 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness, notice this, the righteousness of God. Without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law of the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. So it's the righteousness of God, which we receive by faith, which is through Jesus Christ, is unto or upon all who believe. There's no difference. Paul says. Verse 24, being justified, of course, verse 23 says, for all sin and come short of the glory of God. So we, we, none of us have, can be righteous in ourselves. It's, it's his righteousness. Being justified, verse 24, freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his, that is Jesus' righteousness, or God's righteousness, for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. So, so it's his righteousness. In chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And the word justified means to be declared righteous. We are declared righteous by God. Verse 9 says, Romans 5, 9, Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. We're justified by His blood. And what does Peter say about Jesus' blood? He said it's incorruptible. It's incorruptible blood. Our sin was paid for with incorruptible blood. Our sin was washed away in the incorruptible blood of Christ. Yes, I like what 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For He hath made Him, God made Jesus to be sin for us, who knew no sin. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You see, all of us are equally righteous. If you're saved tonight, we're, all of us that are saved are equally righteous before God. We're all on the same plane. In Jude one twenty four it says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless. See, Jesus Christ, if you're saved tonight, Jesus Christ is going to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. The word faultless means without any blemish. Now, you know, if we all start examining our own life, we're going to find blemishes, aren't we not? We're going to start finding faults. We're going to find sin. But our standing before God is we are without 
sin because we have the righteousness of Jesus Christ applied to our account. It's a wonderful privilege. J. William Canoy, in his commentary on Peter, Second Peter, says the gospel brings quote the gospel brings equality and begets humility. We are all equal in spiritual privileges. How we appreciate and use them will determine our place in the kingdom. Unquote. So we're all equal in spiritual privileges, but how we use those privileges may differ. And that's what the rest of the message is about. So we all have equal privileges. We're all equally righteous before God. We also have available to us the same grace and peace. Notice verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Uh, we have available to each of us is the same amount of grace and the same amount of peace. Now, of course, we know, understand grace means the unmerited favor or goodwill or loving kindness. Is the idea here. You know, Joseph found favor with the Lord. In Genesis 39, verses 2 and 4, it says the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man. He was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. So we could say, I believe, that that favor of God or the grace of God was displayed in the life of Joseph. God favored him. Well, God must have his favorites. Not really. That grace is available to every child of God. Now, does every child of God have it? Not in the same measure. Not in the same measure. And here's why. See, how did this favor come to Joseph? It came through knowledge. Notice again on our text. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ, or Jesus our Lord. So this grace, or this favor, or this goodwill of God comes through our knowledge of Him. So though we're equally... We're equal in our standing, but how we use those privileges may be different. You know, the old saying is, um, yeah, now I'm trying to remember how it goes. I lost too many brain cells today. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, something about you know, the, to be extraordinary is just what the extra you put into it. You know. Joseph, Joseph put more into his walk with the Lord than his brothers did. Now that that's, goes without saying. <laughs> you know, he, he threw his knowledge to God. And, and of course the word knowledge means precise and correct knowledge. You know, used in the New Testament of the knowledge of things ethical and divine. It has the idea of a full and experiential knowledge. And this is the kind of knowledge Joseph had. 2 Timothy 3.7 talks about men who are ever learning and yet never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. So knowledge and learning are not the same thing. They're not the same thing. You know, we, gotta, we have a lot of people in our world that are very smart. 
but they, ha they don't have enough common sense uh, to blow themselves up. They can't seem to think rationally. I mean, can you imagine a guy thinking he's a woman or a woman thinking she's a guy? That just that kind of blows my mind. I know it's not much there to blow, but um, it's just uh, it's just you know it has to be knowledge according to the truth, and Thy word is truth. In in Luke chapter two, speaking of the Lord Jesus, it says in verses forty and verse and 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 also in verse fifty two that. The child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And then verse 52 says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. The disciples, you know, they were men that had the favor and the grace of God evident in their life. And, and, and when they were standing before the, the, the Pharisees, they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and it says they perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. They marveled, them, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. In Acts 4, 33, he says, And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection, and great grace, or great favor, again, was upon them all. Now, how did they get this great grace? It came about as a result of spending time with the Lord experiential knowledge. Abiding with, having communion with the Lord. You see, grace is multiplied through your knowledge or an understanding of God. And it's God's desire for you to have great grace and great knowledge. Look at Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. You know, I was sharing with the men in men's prayer tonight and just thankful what the Lord has given to me. You, you, when you go out in visitation, you realize how ignorant. People that profess to have some knowledge of God, how ignorant they really are. With some of the things they come off with. Uh, but God desires that we have grace and we have a, a knowledge of Him. Colossians 1, verse 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might work worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. You know, Paul here is writing, of course, the Spirit of God is directing Paul as to what to write, so these are the words of God that he's giving Paul to us, to, of course, the church at Colossae, and to us. And he says, it's God's desire then that we would be filled with the knowledge of his will. And all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And that we would be increasing in the knowledge of God. Uh, he, he wrote similar to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 1. Verses 15 through 19. He says, Wherefore I also after that I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all saints. Cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling 
and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. See, God wants us to know. God wants us to have knowledge of him. He wants us to have the peace of God that passeth all understanding. You know, he talks about grace and peace here being multiplied. The peace is a tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ. And so fears nothing from God and is content with its earthly lot, whatsoever sort it is. So, so we, we, we understand then here that, that God's grace, His favor, and His peace are obtained or allotted to us through our knowledge of Him. You know, that comes through preaching. You know, knowledge, knowledge is gained several ways. Knowledge is gained by applying ourselves to learning. You know, how did Joseph become such a great steward? You know, steward as a household manager. I mean, he's, he's, I don't think he's 20 years old, and he goes down to Egypt and becomes steward of Potiphar's house. In other words, he oversees every, all the business that's going on in Potiphar's house. And he isn't 20 years old. You think you'd want that task? How did he, how did he, how did he do that? He applied himself. You know, Daniel... Daniel was a wise young man. He was learned in science. No, he applied himself. He sought to learn all that he could. So we, have, we gain knowledge by applying ourselves to learning, to study, to reading, to exhortation, which is preaching and teaching the Word of God. And these are the source of wisdom and knowledge. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. Paul, writing to Timothy... A young preacher, First Timothy four, he says in verse thirteen, "Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, that's that's preaching, to doctrine, that's teaching. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by the prophecy of the laying on of my hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them. In other words, give it all. Give it your all. Give it your your your, your best effort." Give thyself wholly to them that thy profiting may appear to all. You know, other people are going to take notice. If you're filled with the knowledge of God, if the grace has got upon you, everybody noticed the grace of God was upon Joseph. Everybody noticed it. Everybody noticed that the grace of God was upon Daniel. They all noticed it. And he had knowledge. Both of them had, had knowledge. Our second Timothy two fifteen says, "Study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth." Second Peter three eighteen says, "But grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ." Uh, so you know, the idea I think there is that growing in grace and knowledge are synonymous. When you grow in the knowledge of God, God's grace is going to be increased in your life. So, so we have, then, available to us the same grace and knowledge to be multiplied. We also have available to us 
divine power to apply the wisdom of God to life. Notice verse 3 says, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, again, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. The word here, pertain, means everything that relates to, or belongs to, or is appropriate to. So everything that we have that pertains to life, life, we're talking about real and genuine, a life of active and vigorous, real life, everything that pertains to life, we have through the knowledge of God. Everything that pertains to godliness, and the word godliness means reverence, respect, uh, speaks of piety or godlikeness, godliness. So everything that, that, that pertains to these things, and by the way, that's, it encompasses all of life. It's everything. It's comprehensive. We have. Through the knowledge of Him. And we have available to us the divine power to apply these things to everyday life. He says there's given exceeding great and precious promises. Now, the word the word is exceeding great is one word in the, in the Greek. I was talking to who are Bible Institute students today about this. You know, sometimes in in Greek, when you're translating to English, you might have the Greek maybe one word, the English maybe five. You know, Greek they put prefixes and suffixes on the word that makes them changes the word. Uh, so, but anyway. It's one word in Greek, and it simply means very great, or the greatest. And we talked about here exceeding great, he's talking about the greatest of promises. The word precious means of highest value. Now, where and how can you have these promises? Well, he tells us. Again, it's through the knowledge of him that hath called us, to glory and virtue. God wants us to live a glorious and virtuous life. That's His desire for us. And His will and His plan is glorious and it is virtuous. It's of highest value. But it's through, again, the knowledge of Him. Now, What was the secret to Joshua's campaigns and his conquests? Were they not all based upon the promises of God? Well, in Joshua chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, the Lord said this to Joshua, There shall not a man, not any man, be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide the land for, the inheritance, for an inheritance the land which I swear unto the fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. 
See, Joshua's campaigns and his conquests were all based on the promises that had been given him preceding those conquests. He took God at his word. He had knowledge of what God's plan, God's will was for his life. God told him, this is what you're to do. This is, this is how you're to, to live your life. And he said, I'm going to give you victory. No man will be able to stand before you. I mean, when they went into the Canaan land, there was, there was giants in the land. There was, there was uh, chariots in the land. Um, you know, there was uh, confederate nations in the land which greatly outnumbered the children of Israel. But Joshua defeated them all. You think maybe he got scared sometimes? Well, if he did, it doesn't say anything about it. Yeah, the Lord simply said, fear them not. No. You see, he took God's promises through the knowledge of his promises and defeated all the nations of the land of Canaan. Caleb acted on the great promise of God. In Joshua chapter 14. In Joshua chapter 14. Caleb. Who's 85 years old. Acts on the promise of God. Joshua 14 verse 6. says then the children of Judah came unto Joshua and Gilgal. And Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite said unto him. Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said. Notice that phrase. You know what the Lord said. Unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee in Kadesh Barnea. Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in mine heart. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance, and thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said, these forty and five years, even since the Lord spake his word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. And yet I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me, as my strength was then, even so is my strength now for war, both to go out and to come in. Now therefore, give me this mountain, whereof the Lord spake in that day, for thou heardest that in that day how the Anakins were there, and that the cities were great and fenced. If so be the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. You see, God gave Caleb a promise. And Caleb said, I believe that promise. And I know those other ten spies were afraid of those giants. God made me a promise. I may not be a giant, but I can be a giant killer. Because God made me a promise. You know, there may be some things in your life that you think you can't overcome. They may be giants to you. But we have a Lord that can give us victory over giants. Mordecai, I'll give you example after example. Mordecai acted on the promises made to his fathers. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
He said, I'll make of thee a great nation. He said, I, of them I've loved thee with an everlasting love. And in, and in Esther chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, it says, Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself, thou shalt escape the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then there shall be enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art to come to the kingdom for such a time as this. He said, I know, based on the promises of God, that we Jews are not going to be destroyed. And it's you have the opportunity to deliver us. God may have brought you to this place for this very purpose. But just so you know, Esther, if you don't do it, God will do it through someone else. Because God has said He would. You see, we have great, exceeding, precious promises from our Lord. And we need to take those promises and apply them to everyday life. That we might be victorious over the world, the flesh, and the devil. You know, Romans 15.8 says this, Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. Christ is the fulfillment of the promises made to the children of Israel. And through knowledge, again, through knowledge, we receive him, do we not? Only fools reject him. You know, the psalmist said in Psalm 14, 1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, they have done abominable works, there is none that doeth good. Proverbs 26, 26, 10 says, the great God that formed all things both rewardeth the fool and rewardeth transgressors. They will get the reward. You see, God's given us great, exceeding, precious promises. Notice that by these we might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the world through lust. So He's given us these great and precious promises to give us a life of quality. Partakers... The divine nature, it means the sum of innate properties and powers by which one person differs from others. Distinctive, native, peculiarities, natural characteristics. So, through these great and precious promises, we become partakers of the divine nature. In other words, we take on peculiar or particular characteristics. that are particular and peculiar to Christians. There's an old saying. You get like those you hang around. You know, husbands and wives start thinking alike. You know, our kids will laugh sometimes and we say the same things. 
and we haven't talked to each other. Um, and if you spend time with the Lord, you're going to start thinking like Him. And acting like Him. It will show. It did with Peter and John. I mean, the Pharisees took knowledge of them. They had been with Jesus. I mean, something happened to these guys. This wasn't the same Peter and John they knew before. And, and you notice here he says, we become partakers of the nine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So, you know, we take on a new nature... We take on properties and distinctive characteristics. You know, we don't go to marriage like the world does. You know, the, marriage, the world says, well, you know, you guys need to try this girl, and then you try this girl, and then you try this girl, and then you try this girl. And it's a disaster. It's a disaster. Of course, there's, there, you know, there's, and, and of course, that's the result of that. Part of that is the moral decay of our society. Um, you know, we have a quality of life. You know, sometimes, I know, maybe you've had this experience. Sometimes people that aren't living right try to impress you and talk real spiritual. And I want to say, I'm not stupid. You know, I may have been born at night, but it wasn't last night. You're only fooling yourself. But he has given us these promises to escape the corruption that is the world's love, to save us from the moral decay of our society. You know, loss of purity, disease, wrecked homes, financial problems, all these things God addresses in His Word. Gives us instruction how to raise children. How to have a life of glory and virtue. You know, but where does all this stuff come from? Young people, you might think that sometimes your parents are old-fashioned and out of date. But knowledge comes, knowledge comes with learning, with experience. You know, Daniel and Nathan are equally righteous before God, but they're not equally equal in knowledge. Because Nathan is older, has more experience, has more learning than Daniel. And so, as young people, it ought to be your desire 
to gain all the knowledge that you can get so that you can live a life of glory and a life of virtue. That's how it gets. That's how you that's how you do it. There are no shortcuts. There are no shortcuts. If you want to be saved from the corruption that's in this world, you've got to apply yourself to the knowledge of the truths of the Word of God. You know, we 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 you know, I can I could point fingers at people and tell you stories of young people that thought they knew better and went their own way and sought the ways of the world and now are living out in the world very corruptly and ruining their lives with much heartache and misery. Why? Because they rejected the knowledge of the truth. Pastor Webb sent me this the other day. You know, and I thought of this when I read this, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. It was a forward to him. It says, the, knee, the title of it is, The Knee's Not the Problem. Hmm. Things that make you go, hmm. Children raised in fatherless homes, especially black children, are far more likely than children raised in two-parent homes to engage in criminal behavior and thus have contact with police. Uh, Ergo, when they father a child with a woman to whom they are not married, at least or at least living with, they are contributing to the problem against which these football players are taking a knee. If you look at many of these players' records of out of, on out-of-wetlock children, you find that they are contributing significantly to the problem against which they are protesting. For example, Antonio Cromartie has 12 children by nine different women. Apparently, the NFL had to shell out $500,000 before he could even play football for them. Travis Henry has 11 children by 10 women. Willis McGahee has nine children by eight women. Derek Thomas has seven children by five different women. Bernie Blades has six children by six women. Ray Lewis has six children by four women. And Marshall Falk has six children by three women. So before these guys take a knee, they should take a look in the mirror. It appears their problem is not their knee. You see, we can escape all this corruption that's in the world. And I'm, just not, I'm, not just, I'm not referring to the knee situation, although that's corruption as far as I'm concerned. It's anti-authority. It's a rebellion against authorities. But, you know, our world is becoming more and more entrenched with corruption. It is being promoted more and more. And young people, if you're going to escape it, you're going to have to apply yourself the knowledge of the truth and you can still be victorious only Noah and his family went in the ark and there were probably billions of people in the world so they were the only family but Noah all his children were in the ark you can too
but you have to apply yourself. You see, this power, this grace, these promises are available to us through the knowledge of Him. And that, my friend, is up to us. God will not force feed you, but He will feed you if you'll accept it, if you'll seek it. So might you seek to know the truth. Jesus said, Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Might God help us to seek the truth and apply it to our lives that we might have and might experience in our life these great, exceeding, precious promises. We might know, experience that like, precious faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time of your word tonight. Thank you for the challenge it gives to us. And I pray you help us, young and old, to seek the truth, to seek to learn, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we might escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. So pray that you give us victory, give us uh, the strength and the grace that we need. Help us just make right choices that will glorify and honor thee. We pray in Jesus' name.